A few months ago, during our hiatus between seasons, Where There's Smoke hosted a Twitter chat. The title and topic of the chat was Music and Movement. In some ways, it was an extension of the conversation we started in our Once Was Lost episode from season one. You may recall that was the one with Nick's Miley Cyrus story in it and my reflections on Amazing Grace. And in other ways, it opened new doors. Some of the questions we asked were, has a piece of music ever helped you through a moment to cope, understand it, or move through it? What's one of your earliest memories with music? Name the song and where you were. Is there a piece of music that instantly transports you back to a moment? Our intention in that chat was to further explore the ways that music moves us, supports us, defines us, and its power to influence and inspire. During the chat, we heard so many great stories and reflections, and so we put it out to our community. We said, if you've got a story about a song that you'd like to share for the podcast, email us. And you did. We received some great stories directly from the WTS community. You've heard us say, we're all in this together. Well, this week, you, the listeners, helped us put the show together. And a couple of you are literally in it with us. So we're exploring the power of music this week with a little help from our friends. Exactly. Oh, and Nick is taking the lead this week. It's his birthday week. So, you know, we got to give him the conch. We are going to continue to explore the ways that music works. How sometimes songs can bring us back to a specific memory, and in other times, the act of playing music can express feelings we can't possibly explain. So if you're ready, we're going to roll with it. Oh, we're doing that, are we? Okay, well, how about we bust a move then? Just bust a move. Oh, no, hold on. Uh, no, no, wait. Uh, stop! <sighs> Fergie? Let's get it started in here. Let's get it started. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This week, we explore the power of music. Nick talks to neuropsychologist Dr. Amy Baird about music and memories, and we hear powerful stories from two listeners, Elizabeth Sweetley and Jesse Broughton, plus WTS digs and big news from one of our listeners. My name is Brett Guida. His name is Nick Jaworski. Let's start the show. Let's start with the story. Listeners of the show know that in a previous life, I was a music teacher. I taught band, music theory, songwriting, marching band, all kinds of things, and I worked with a variety of ages, from fifth grade to graduation. This means that I've heard a lot of music. Some of it good, some of it great, and some of it will get better. And of all of those experiences, both amateur and professional, the most moving musical experience I've had happened in perhaps the most unlikely of places. During my first year of full-time teaching, there was a 7th grader 
by the name of Ben. And honestly, I didn't know Ben that well because sadly, he passed away that first year. He had been battling cancer for the majority of his young life and as it spread, he missed more and more school. So I only saw him in passing. His classmates, his fellow seventh graders, however, they had been with him since his diagnosis years before. They visited with him at home between chemo treatments. They texted with him. If Ben was able to be at school, his friends were there for him. And just by watching those seventh graders, it was clear that they were inspired by Ben's strength and perseverance. It was through their actions, Ben's friends, that I was able to glimpse how wonderful Ben must have been. Ben passed away the night before our spring band concert. He was texting with friends, told them he was tired, and that he'd talk to them tomorrow. And that was it. He was gone. Now, I didn't teach the seventh graders. Their teacher was a wonderful person named Jan. Sadly, Jan had experienced way more than her fair share of loss just about a year prior to this. And she was the one who told me that morning about Ben. And other than that, no one really talked about it. The news wasn't an absolute shock to people. Ben had been sick, but no amount of time ever fully prepares you for loss like that. While there were some tears around the school, I remember most of the morning feeling hushed, just quiet. What can you say? I remember feeling that this was a really important moment as a teacher, a moment that the kids might remember for the rest of their lives. I felt like it was my responsibility to say something, to take these feelings and put words to them, to help these kids process such loss. But unfortunately, I just didn't have the skills. My undergraduate degree definitely had not prepared me to handle the situation. I just felt frozen. And feeling like I had little to offer, I, I tried my best to help set up for the dress rehearsals that would occur throughout the morning for our concert that night. So all morning, we had kids coming into the gym for rehearsal. That's where our concerts were. After the sixth graders packed up, the seventh graders started to arrive, and they trickled in, they put their instruments together, and found their seats. Usually, a dress rehearsal has this combination of excitement and nervousness that had been replaced with a heavy quiet. A quiet only broken with the unusually restrained sounds of seventh grade murmurs and the occasional tears. Some kids warmed up for the rehearsal, and some sat quietly in their seats, instruments across their laps. Needing to feel useful, I stood near the percussionist to make sure that they had all of the mallets, sticks, and music that they would need for the rehearsal. As I was asking around to make sure they had all of their music, Jan approached the podium. She waited for all of the kids to stop playing and talking, and for everybody's eyes to be on her. She was always much better at that than I was. I remember thinking at the moment that she was going to have to do what nobody else seemed to be able to do. Talk to the kids about the terrible loss they were feeling. I also realized that if anybody could speak to these children, Jan was the one. And as she stood there at the podium, I got the sense that the kids were thinking the same thing. Jan looked out at the seventh graders and said reassuringly, I know we're all sad. When you're really sad, I found that it's best to let routine take over. Let's just play a simple B-flat concert scale in whole notes. We've been doing that for three years now. As she put her hand up to give the downbeat, 
I turned and walked towards the bleachers to listen. I remember thinking, she would have to say something, right? My back was to the ensemble as the first sounds of that familiar B-flat scale reached my ears. Almost every band teacher and band parent on the planet is familiar with the sound of a middle school band playing that scale. It's a standard part of almost every warm-up. You play it every day. But I had never heard anything that sounded like this. While any attempt to describe music surely fails, I can only say that the seventh graders' tone sounded dark and labored. When they changed notes from B-flat to C, you could hear how heavy their bodies felt, each note taking longer to fully speak than it should. As I stood there listening, my eyes began to swell with tears. I have spent thousands of dollars to see some of the greatest musicians on earth, but none of those performers were able to communicate any emotion as honestly or as convincingly as those seventh graders did that morning. When you play in an ensemble, some experiences are musical, while others are highly personal. Somehow this scale was both, a moment only possible through the love that existed between a teacher and her students. Right away, I knew that Jan had succeeded. Those kids loved Ben and couldn't find the words to express their grief. On that morning, the most basic of warm-ups, a B-flat scale, had given those students the voice that no one else seemed to have. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Obviously, there are sad parts of that story, but what's powerful is music's ability to connect so deeply with us. As we were putting this show together, we realized that maybe we should bring in an expert to vouch for music's seemingly magical powers, you know, so you don't have to take our word for it. My name is Dr. Amy Baird, and I'm a clinical neuropsychologist. I work with patients who have brain injury or disease, and I assess their thinking And my area of research that I love and am passionate about is music and memory and how music can be used to help people with brain injury or disease who have impaired memory, how music can be used to help their memories. Dr. Baird has been working on some very cool research that helps prove that there's just something about music that buries itself way down deep. And I had a man who is, he was 60 and he'd had a motorbike accident and had a severe brain injury. And he had a lot of difficulty remembering his life prior to that brain injury, all the way back to childhood really. And he also had difficulty forming new memories, like learning new things. But it was most upsetting to him and his wife that he couldn't remember things about their past. And he really loved music. He loved listening to pop music in the car. And, you know, we talked a bit about that because of my interest in music. And I thought, I wonder if, um, you know, playing songs to him from the past would help him bring back some memories about his personal history. I played him number one songs from each year, from when he was five years old to when he was 60. Mm -hmm. Um, And I compared, you know, the frequency of his memories with that of his wife, who was perfectly healthy and they'd been married for 40 years. So um, she was a good sort of matched healthy control for him. And what I found was that um, the frequency of, of memories that came from the songs was very similar between him and his wife, even though he had a very severe brain injury. Uh, a lot of songs brought to mind memories for him. What she found for this man, and for most of the others in the study, 
was that playing music was more effective at retrieving memories than simply asking about a specific time in their life, like, just tell me about your childhood. Researchers seem to think that this happens because music simply activates more parts of the brain than other stimuli. The unique thing about music and why it is so powerful is that there's a strong connection with emotion, you know. If you hear mm -hmm. a song that's significant to you, often the emotion that goes with that just floods you immediately within seconds and mm -hmm. personal memories are really intimately tied with emotions. So I think music's ability to access emotion and that, that's to do with what is activated in the brain when we hear familiar songs. The parts of the brain that are active are really widespread and it involves um, parts of the brain that control emotion and movement, you know, because we're often tapping or dancing to music, uh, reward. So it's really unique in that music as a stimulus activates widespread brain regions. And I think this why why it is so good at bringing to mind memories and emotions because we have those parts of the brain that control memory and emotion activated. You know how sometimes music seems to just find us, whether we like it or not? Like, you get dumped by somebody, and then you hear on the radio... Well, we've all been there, and here's a story from Elizabeth Sweetley about how specific music seemed to find her no matter how hard she tried to hide. When I was little, my dad and I loved driving around in the car, just the two of us. I was seven in the first grade. My dad was 35. He was an alcoholic and loved driving around on the back roads of Texas, drinking and listening to the radio. The joy rides with my dad were always fun adventures. When we stopped at the liquor store, he always bought me a kid-sized Dr. Pepper and a pint of whiskey for himself. Once we got back to the car, he poured himself a drink and then he stashed the bottle half empty underneath the seat. Despite how it sounds, I didn't really think about it. He did this all the time. I remember when we were driving, he used to do this thing where he'd palm my head into his hand, and then he'd use his thumb to squish my forehead down between my eyes. My face looked all scowled. Then he'd squint his eyes at me and glare and say, Baby Hawk. I never knew why he called me that. As a child, I didn't understand drinking and driving was dangerous, let alone illegal. One time we were driving around on the outskirts of Tarrant County, Texas, and a song came on the radio that my dad started singing along to. Something like, Sailing in the seas of love, seas of love, sailing seas. I remember that moment so well, not just because of the song, but I saw red and blue flashing lights on the dashboard. The lights didn't seem to phase my dad. He pulled over and turned the engine off, but he left the radio on so our song kept playing. The officer asked my dad to get out of the car. I was completely unsure as to what I was supposed to do, since this was my first time getting pulled over. I mimicked my dad's actions and leaned my hands against the car, waiting for the officer to pat me down. But the officer asked my dad, Got any guns? No, sir, my dad replied. And then my dad asked me, You got any guns, Beth? Nope, dad, no guns, I assured him. The serious nature of the situation didn't hit me until I watched the officer place my father in handcuffs. I wrapped my arms around my dad and cried until a second officer arrived. My dad went to jail that night and I was escorted home in a separate police car. My family moved to Oklahoma, but it didn't change anything. My dad remained stagnant in a cycle of depression, drinking, domestic violence, jail sobriety, finding Jesus and or God, 
Freedom, then unemployment, until he found himself all the way back at depression again, repeat. Then one day, the cycle just stopped, and my dad passed away. He was 59. I should have seen it coming, him being an alcoholic and all, but I still wasn't prepared for that phone call, the one that told me that my dad had died. When I hung up the phone, I ran out to my car. I just wanted to listen to some music and find some comfort. I closed the door, and the song that's playing as I turn the car on... I just laughed. What else could I do? Well played, universe. Well played. After my dad passed away, I moved back to Fort Worth, Texas in 2010. I called it my great escape. Running away from Oklahoma worked for a while. I found an awesome job downtown and made new friends who didn't know anything about my wino dad or my dysfunctional family. But even though my life changed for the better, I still felt like something was missing. The memory of my dad haunted me. Every time I thought I moved on, I'd be at some random place like a restaurant or a gas station, and I'd hear a song that reminded me of him. I was on lunch break once, standing in line at a deli packed with people, when I heard music playing overhead. The voice sounded kind of familiar. I'm gonna watch you shine, gonna watch you grow, gonna paint the sign so you'll always know as long as one and one is two. There could never be a father loved his daughter more than I love you. Seriously? This is bull, Paul Simon. Usually I could stop myself from crying, but not that time. It wasn't a casual couple of tears. I went into straight, full-on sobbing, hyperventilating, snot pouring out of my nose. I already paid for my food, but I didn't care. I ran out to the back alley behind the restaurant so I could finish sobbing. It was the first time I realized I couldn't just run away from my feelings, that they were going to find me no matter what I did. After my breakdown behind the restaurant, I went through an intense period of grieving and sorting through my emotions. This left the real task of unpacking my things in Texas low on the list of priorities. When I finally grew sick of living out of boxes, I began unpacking in my new place. Though really, it wasn't new since I'd been living there for two years already. I was hanging up my clothes listening to an internet radio station when I heard it. It was that song, the one my dad and I were listening to the time we got arrested. Well, when he got arrested, I was just seven. I watched the title scroll across the screen, and after all those years, I realized I was so wrong. It wasn't sailing the seas, it was sowing the seeds. Sowing the seeds of love. When I heard the song, it was the first time I remembered my dad and actually smiled. I felt like I was there in the car with him again. Sowing the seeds of love became a symbol for me, like a reminder that love could be found anywhere. Not just in obvious places like a hug or a kiss or wrapped up all pretty in a birthday gift, but love could grow in the most unexpected places. To this day when I hear that song, I think of car rides with my dad, singing off key, laughing, and I remember how it felt when he scrunched my forehead with his thumb and called me his baby hawk.
for young people, music can be such an important part of their identity. We talked about this a little bit back in our episode on taste. It's the close association between music and identity, combined with simply how much music we listen to when we're younger, that help ingrain those songs from our youth into our brains. Here's Dr. Baird again. Typically, songs from his late teens and early 20s, this, it's known that songs from that time period uh, are really potent in bringing to mind personal memories, probably because, you know, in our late teens and early 20s, we're forming our identity and social relationships are really important and music of that time mm-hmm. is often important to us. So, yeah, both he and his wife, um, that period of life, for both of them brought to mind most memories, songs from that period of life. Like, for me... I could probably sing 90% of the lyrics from every Beatles album between Rubber Soul and Abbey Road, because I used to listen to the Beatles so much. However, there's probably only three or four albums in the last five years that I could sing 50% of. I should work on that. But speaking of young people, this next story comes to us from Jessie Broughton. It's a beautiful story that stretches almost a decade, starting when she was 22. It's a story about music's ability to not only bring us together, but to bring us back. When I was in my 20s, I went to a bar I hated just because they had karaoke on Friday nights. It was loud and dirty and filled with college kids who were all trying to get laid. Um, I wasn't in college or trying to get laid. I just wanted to have fun with some friends. Of course, they never showed up. I sat alone for over an hour waiting for them and waiting for karaoke to start. I had put in Cheap Trick uh, you know the I, I was in that mood at first and jokey, but eventually I became really surly and a little bit tipsy. And when it was my turn to sing, I was still alone. Um, but I bravely stood up and started walking to the stage. And as I was walking, I saw this fancy-looking girl, you know, sitting over with a group of similar fancy-looking girls. And I didn't know her, but out of fear and desperation, I grabbed her arm and pulled her up on stage with me. I emphatically said to her, you're singing with me. And she was like, no, 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 I don't sing. Uh, But somehow I convinced her, probably through sheer force. Um, She told me that she didn't know the song we were about to sing. I was like, you don't? Are you serious? Okay, it's, it's super easy. It's, I want you to want me. I need you to need me. I'd love you to love me. I'm begging you to beg me just over and over again. You'll, you'll get it. You'll be okay. And the music started, and we shared the microphone. And she really couldn't sing at all, but like in a super cute way. Uh, she did get the hang of it about halfway through the song, and by the end of it, we were both dancing and laughing hysterically. And we finished the song, and everyone applauded, and in fact, we were even given free drinks like on the house for being so awesome. Uh, We sat down, and I was like, so what's your name again? And we both laughed. Her name turned out to be Liz. And nine years later, she's so much more than just some fancy-looking girl. I actually found my best friend that night and physically forced her to sing in front of a room full of strangers. So that's on me. (laughs) Nine years later... She's the girl who sang that cheap trick song with me every week at karaoke, just completely elated and totally unembarrassed. And she's the girl that saved me from my depression and anxiety with her just constant thoughtfulness and pure love. And I know this sounds corny, 
but she's the girl that showed me the true meaning of Christmas. Like, after a lifetime of hating the holiday, she's just that kind of girl. Last Valentine's Day, Liz and her husband were hurt in a horrible car crash. As I sat outside her hospital room, I thought about how different this moment felt than the first time we met at karaoke. She was sedated so she could recover from her head trauma, and it was just so quiet, so strange to see her there. Really still. You know, she looked the same, perfect and absolutely gorgeous as ever, just not there. And again, just so quiet, no laughing, no singing. While uh, Liz was in the hospital, I had to... I just had to stop listening to the radio. Regardless of the station, without a doubt, our song would play. Podcasts would feature or reference it. It it was like the song was following me, and it was just too much. Once, I heard the song five times in one day, and just as a reminder, I Want You to Want Me was released in 1978, so five times a day is a lot. Being reminded of the good times with Liz, and then not knowing if she would ever be able to sing with me again, that was... It was just too much. And whenever I was able to visit and we were alone, I would sing to her. I'm not sure why, but it felt good to sing with her again. And when she was eventually brought out of sedation, we were all waiting to see what her recovery would look like. How much would she remember? Would she be the same person we all knew and loved? So as she was coming out of sedation, I sang our song to her. I want you to want me, I need you to need me, I'd love you to love me, I'm begging you to beg me. And uh, as I whispered those silly lyrics, her mouth started moving along to the words, and just, um, I knew it would be okay. I knew she was in there, still with us, and still with me. And while her recovery has its good days and less than good days, we still have our song. And I know it will be alright. I mean, she's the girl who has already come so far. And, you know, had I known that our song would be, I don't know, the first song we ever sang together... Had I known that that's how we were going to meet and just fall in friend love, I probably would have picked a better song. (laughs) But this is the one we got, so I'm just happy I have my Liz. So what are we trying to say? Well, it's not earth-shattering to suggest that music is powerful. Honestly, most of the things that we say on this show aren't earth-shattering. That's not what we're trying to do. Our goal, every week, is to simply focus your attention on some element of your life, on some portion of what makes you, you. And for a lot of people, music is one of the most powerful forms of expression through playing or listening. And by focusing on the music that brings you back to best friends, mothers, fathers, loves, school dances, college dorm rooms, road trips, by remembering that music, we can literally recapture a little bit of ourselves, get a sense of who we were then and who we are now. Just a few days ago, after the tragic events in Paris, 
people started spontaneously singing the French national anthem as a way to come together, to reassure each other, to show one another that we're all in this together. From fans evacuating the soccer stadium in Paris, to a gathering of French nationals and exchange students in New York City. Music brings people together. While I was talking to Amy Baird, I asked her if there was any specific music that immediately recalled memories for her. Well, one of my first albums, which um, I still love now, is Paul Simon's Graceland. It's one of my and, favorites. Um, yeah, one of my favorites, absolutely. And I, I think it was the first album I you know, was given, or well, I think my mum might have given it to me. Cause, and I remember we went to, Paul Simon came to Australia, he came to Melbourne, and I saw his concert, and he had the um, Lady Smith Black Mombasa with him. And yeah, so any song from that album just brings me back to, I was probably nine or 10. Yeah, I think probably that album is most significant to me in terms of bringing me back in time. Ah, Graceland. Now that's an album that I know all the lyrics to. There's a line from that album that used to be one of my away messages back in the day of AOL Instant Messenger. Remember that? In the song, Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes, Paul sings. And I can say, ooh, 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 ooh. As if everybody knows what I'm talking about. As if everybody here would know exactly what I was talking about. I'm talking about diamonds on the soles of her shoes. I love that. It's not about the words, it's about the music. The music tells us what we need to know. It enters our ears and then buries itself somewhere way down deep, and we can use our favorite songs to travel great distances of time or space to revisit the places, memories, and people that we cherish most. And I think that's probably as good of an ending as we're going to get, because attempting to end this episode with anything other than music would sort of defeat the point, right? So, promise me you'll do this. After this episode is over, dig deep. Find some music that you love, and if you're around other people, share it with them and tell your stories. And if you're alone, just blast it on those speakers or headphones, put on a stupid grin, and enjoy yourself. You promise? All right. I'll hold you to that. And I can say, Thank you so much to our two contributors to this week's show, Elizabeth Sweetley and Jesse Broughton. Having other people share their stories on the show was a first for WGS, and they couldn't have been any more open, talented, and professional. We're just so thrilled to be able to share their voices with you. For more information on what Elizabeth is up to, follow her on Twitter. That's at EJ underscore Sweetly. That's EJ underscore S-W-E-E-T-L-Y. For more on Jesse. Her Twitter handle is at search to find you. That's at search to find you. Go follow them and say nice things. A special shout out to Steve Boas, who is the owner and producer at Breathing Room Studios in Norman, Oklahoma. He recorded Elizabeth's story for the show. Thank you so much, Steve, for your help. Lastly, thank you so much to Dr. Amy Baird for talking with us. 
We had a great time talking and she's doing some fantastic work for patients suffering from memory loss. Besides her love of Paul Simon's Graceland, when asked what music she would play for a dance party right now, she said, hey ya. She gets me. If you've got a story to share, make sure you email us at connect at wherethersmoke.co. We'd love to try an episode like this again. Hey everyone, this is Brett, and now it is time for what we have determined is everyone's favorite segment in the show, mm-hmm. WTS Digs. For those of you that are new, this is a segment where Nick and I kind of share something we're digging this week, and just so y'all know, we don't know what each other are going to share, so we kind of learn about it as we record this uh, live for us anyways. So uh, so Nick, I'm on the edge of my seat because you told me how excited you are about your dig this week. <laughs> so, uh, alright, I am positioned on the edge. Tell me, what are you digging this week? Well, in keeping with my promise from last week not to choose a TV show for this segment, uh, I actually thought I would go back to the original suggestion I made when we did the Twitter chat for that was the inspiration for this episode. So way back then, I discovered a band called Snarky Puppy, and particularly a song called Lingus, and uh, it is just so awesome like i cannot stress how much fun it is these are some jazzers from most of them from north texas Uh, they just won a grammy recently and it's awesome and of course we have to listen to a little bit right now And, and, you know, just to just to clarify, because we were preparing this show, I did go through that Twitter chat, and I can say that Nick probably tweeted 20 times in that chat, and every third tweet was a reminder to everyone <laughs> that they have to listen to this song. So. It's, it's just like, it's so great. And they also, they do this really cool thing. When live performances, they put the audience, they do these really small things, they put the audience in headphones, and, like, so they get to hear, like, this really tight mix. Oh, that's so, cool. Like Snarky that. Puppy. Lingus. Uh, we'll link to it in the description here on the podcast and go check it out. Cool. So, Brett, what are you digging this week? Well, Nick, I got to say, collectively, this might be the most excited we've ever been for digs because <laughs> today what I'm sharing is my favorite thing on the Internet. And I don't oh. mean today. I don't mean this week. I mean, this has been my favorite thing on the Internet, bar none, for as long as I can remember, at least 15 years, maybe even 20 or more. Uh-oh. So my dig is Mr. Nice. Now, oh. <laughs> have you ever seen Mr. Nice? Oh, I've seen, oh my God. <laughs> so for those of you out there, you can either just Google Mr. Nice Dance or you can go to albinoblacksheep.com forward slash flash forward slash nice and you will find Mr. Nice. And why don't we just play a little clip of Mr. Nice right now? Hi, my name is Mr. Nice. As you can see, I don't have any arms or hands, but that doesn't stop me from dancing. Does it? Would you like to see me dance? I cannot believe Mr. Nice made it into this show. So, Mr. Nice is like my go-to, like whenever I just need cheering up or just for any reason whatsoever. Now, here's something you don't know, Nick. So, earlier this year in March, I found Albino Black Sheep, the guy who hosts the website that's on, on Twitter. And I wrote him an email because I thought we could find the creator of Mr. Nice for Where There's Smoke. And he wrote me back and said, dude, I have no idea. He's tried to locate him. 
he's looked at old sites, he's lost, he has no idea. So I feel like I might have to call Starly Kine of the Mystery Show and see if we can find, <laughs> but nobody knows who created Mr. Nice, but Mr. Nice is the de facto cheer you up, make you feel great at any point in time. And it's my absolute favorite thing on the internet and it's my WTS digs. Well, what a happy time here in the dig section today. I am telling you. If you out there have something that you're digging or you like what you heard here on the show today, please let us know on Twitter at PodcastMonster at Brett Guida and just tell us what you're digging. Thanks. Credits, please! First off, I am super excited to send a huge congrats to one of our original listeners, Matthew Curry Holmes in Los Angeles. We have an incredibly smart, successful, and creative community of listeners, and we plan to brag about you more and more. In the past few days, Matthew wrapped principal photography on his directorial debut film called Traces, which he also wrote. It stars Pablo Schreiber, aka Pornstash from Orange is the New Black, Rick Springfield, very appropriate for our music episode, and Sosie Bacon, daughter of Kevin bacon, which also means that Matthew is now like eight degrees of separation from approximately 88% of Hollywood. It was awesome to see articles about your movie this week in Deadline, Variety, and The Hollywood Reporter, Matthew. I can't wait to see it. Congrats again. Big thanks to everyone who came out to meetups in New York and Chicago last week. MVP award to Rob, who drove over two hours to hang out with Nick and I in the Windy City. We received some great messages this week, a beautiful email from veteran Damien on Veterans Day that moved me to tears, as well as great notes of encouragement from Jerry Smith and Tyler Nielsen. Twitter love, Megan Har. Apparently we are making big impressions on the Palouse. Not quite the Cougars yet, but we'll get there. Victor Kunha, always great words. Sam Goss, Andy Zimne, Rachel Richardson, at TK Fenton, at K Clayton J, and Lola Pagola. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter. It's at ExploreWTS, and you can find Nick and I there, too. We're at Podcast Monster and at Brett Guider, respectively. To everyone who wished Nick a happy birthday on Facebook over the weekend, you rock. We are now the favorite podcast to binge on drives from Knoxville, Tennessee to Cap Manitoba. So, you know, if you're making that drive, check us out. M.W. Owen said WTS helps me think differently about today and analyze yesterday. Farmer Tomei proclaimed every podcast presents a pep talk with a moral to the story. And I Love Quotes gave us the very quotable, where there's smoke is better than Xanax. If you want to get on our mailing list, you can do it by phone. Text the word smoke to 66866 or go to our website at www.wherethersmoke.co. The WTS theme song was written and recorded by Des McKinney and remixed by Nick Jaworski. Additional music in this episode performed by Blue Dot Sessions, Kai Engel, The Insider, Poddington Bear, Alex Fitch, and Kevin McLeod. Where There's Smoke is composed, crafted, transcribed, assigned, practiced, played, orated, recorded, mixed, edited, mastered, impressed by me, Brett Gaida, and Nick Jaworski. If you're interested in working with me as a trainer, speaker, or coach, send an email to brett at wherethersmoke.co. And if you want help making your podcast sound awesome, Nick's company is Podcast Monster. Go to podcastmonster.com or send an email to nick at wherethersmoke.co. Finally, as we sign off, remember, music is yours. It's personal. It's not about what moves other people or what they think about what moves you. It's just about finding your jam. No way. This is my jam. This is also my jam. Everything, Everything is awesome. Thanks for listening. We love you. We'll see you next week.